Hi, this is Nancy Earl, and welcome to Nancy's Psychic View on the High Road to Humanity. And today I have Rob Volpe here, and he's joining us from San Francisco. And welcome to the show. Hi, Nancy. Thank you so much. It's so great to be here. I'm so glad you're here. You guys, we're going to talk about empathy. And being an empath, this is one of my favorite subjects. And are you an empath as well? You are, aren't you? You have to be an empath. Oh, yeah, I am. I mean, come on. Yeah. And I believe I'll just say this before I even read his bio. You guys, this is a cool show. You're going to want to share this, especially there are so many impasse on the planet right now because we are here to raise the vibration. We are here to help humanity. And I just want to get that out. So having said that, Rob is a thought leader in the role of empathy. He in marketing and in the workplace. He's as a CEO of Ignite360. He leads a team of insight, strategy, and creative professionals serving the world's leading brands across a range of industries. So this is going to be pretty interesting. He's a graduate graduate of Syracuse University, uh, Newhouse School of Public Communication. And Rob has been studying empathy since 2010, when the University of Michigan study came out showcasing the empathy crisis. So um, we're going to check out his website. You guys, if you want to check it out, it's ignite-360.com. Um, his book um, hold you got a book, your book there. I sure do. It's right here. All right, cool. I love the cover. Tell me more about that. So I guess what we want to hear is your story. I mean, from what I understand, you're you're an empath, um, you're a market researcher, and you kind of combine the two, is what I get here. Yeah. Then yes, yeah. thank you for that introduction. And um Empathy is something that we're all born with. Um, it's just a, a question of have we been given the opportunities and have the self-awareness to tap into it and strengthen those muscles up. And so from the time that I was a kid, highly empathetic um, and, and able to connect and see other people's points of view and my you know, to the credit of my parents helped me uh, develop that that skill. And then as I got through into the workplace and in my adult life, I always approached and moved through the world with an you know, trying to understand the point of view of other people. And, you know, even in business, when you're negotiating with somebody or having an interaction, you're trying to understand where are they coming from? What's motivating them? And then, you know, I, I, ignored the signs from the universe a few different times, but I am a big believer that, you know, the universe keeps putting things in front of you that you need to pay attention. You get to. it right. Yeah. Until you going. get it right. Until you go, Oh, what's that about? And one of the things that the universe kept putting in front of me was opportunities to connect with consumers and hear from firsthand from people that were buying my, you know, I was in different marketing services roles. I was doing PR um, and the firm that I was with, we did a lot of stuff for Starbucks. And so I was traveling the country. This is back uh, in 1996. I was traveling the country um, helping promote the launch of Starbucks ice cream. So it was in the supermarkets. It was ice, seven, six different flavors, all I coffee. I don't flavors. think I've ever had it. Oh my God. It was so good. They don't make it anymore. It was a partnership with uh, EDs and dryers out here in California. It was amazing ice cream. Oh my and God. I would, I, this was like the best job in the world. I got to travel the country um, so it's flying all over the place and I'd get to go to street festivals and events and 4th of July parties 
and sample ice cream and give away ice cream for to people and then hear their their reaction and then go i'd go back and i'd report like okay yeah we gave away 10,000 samples but this is also what i heard right. and that was all marketing research but i didn't understand why that was you know how much i loved it and and what it meant and what that path could look like and then finally i figured it out and empathy is so key to understanding what we do in marketing research is we understand how people think, feel, behave, and help our clients connect to that and understand so they can make decisions on how to improve their business. Mm-hmm. Whether you're Microsoft or General Mills or your Susie's Fish and Fin pet store down the street, everybody has customers. Right. You have to pay attention to how people are um, your customers think, feel, behave, what their needs are, yeah. and how to meet them. And that's empathy. So it was through all of that, but then found, no surprise, I guess, but as we, you know, clients would pay us a lot of money to go do these projects and we'd find really great learning and we'd come back to their offices and here's here's what they're saying. This is what you need to be doing. And I I so vividly remember there was one business unit director of a large multinational company, and he just sat there and looked at me and he's like, I still don't understand why they would want to pay more for the competitor's product. And it's like, but we just laid all of this out. You know, how did you miss that? Well, he was sitting in his own judgment Mm -hmm. and being judgmental rather than being open to, to what was going on. And so that prompted us to get curious, my colleagues at Ignite360 and I to kind of go, what's going on? What gets in people's way? How can we help people be more empathetic um, and, and make that connection? And that's where we identified what we call the five steps to empathy, which is what I write about and tell stories uh, yeah. to support in the book. Right. Um, and that led me down this path to you and I sitting here today. Yeah, it's a very good book, by the way. It really Thank is. Thank you. Thank you. It just it just won an award from the publishing industry, actually. Oh, God bless. It was one of the best self-help books of last year. Really? Okay. Yeah. So there's here, I'll hold the book back up again. There's yes. this little silver sticker oh, now. It's a Benjamin it. Franklin Award from the Independent Book Publishers Association. I love it. Well, you know, we were talking before the show. There's so many impasse on the planet right now. And we pick up the energy of other people and everybody has the ability, but some people have it more, but, but do you want me to read the five uh, steps of empathy? Sure. Or you liked, okay. So here are the five steps and, and we're going to go through them if that's okay with you. Absolutely. Okay. Cool. All right. So the first one is dismantle judgment, which is my number one thing, because I'll tell you what, if we could just stop this one thing, this is my opinion. Just not judge. Don't judge somebody else. Don't judge anybody because you have no idea what's going on in their life. Okay. Yeah. None. Yep. And that would be, I mean, in our world today, there's so much controversy. Anyway, I'll, I'll get off that. <laughs> but judgment is like huge. You say, ask good questions and you have that behind you. Um, ask more questions, active listening. And this is one of my faults. This is my downfall. I, I'm not a good listener because I'm psychic and I know what you're going to say before you say it. Okay. And that's, I have, this is what I have to work on. A lot of people who are, you know, um, intuitive aren't good listeners, I think, because we know. <laughs> Anyway, you say integrate into understanding um, what have you heard. 
So um, also you say use solution imagination, step into the shoes of somebody else. And that's what I was just talking about. So let's start out with judgment, because to me, this is what the biggest problem is in our society right now. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And it's not the first thing I like to do. I give a lot of keynotes and and presentations on empathy now. And one of the things I like to do is help people understand, I'm not talking about making a judgment. You still have to make decisions. Oh, yeah. That's making a judgment. But some people confuse it. They're like, I don't know. know, what, What do you mean? I have to make judgments. This is about being judgmental, about casting aspersion at somebody else. It's those you know, it can be limited to thoughts that come up, but oftentimes it gets expressed in words and action against somebody else. You don't like somebody because of any number of things. The because way of how that- they dress or where they live, or maybe you think they're lower than you. Yeah. All these people, man, it just drives me nuts. People put themselves on these pedestals. We are all, I'm going to get on this whole thing. Please now. do it. Well, Let's we're it. all souls here. You know, we're just souls in these bodies and we're not, yeah. we're, we're not the outside, we're the inside. And everybody judges each other. It, it's crazy. And that has been my biggest learning lesson over the last oh I would say six years I've learned not to judge people because you you have no idea it's hard well and I'll tell you what I'll just use myself as as an example and I'll use this show as an example um you don't know this but I started this show six years ago and High Road to Humanity as a podcast but I never thought about using Nancy's psychic view until about two weeks ago because I was afraid to say I'm a psychic. Hmm. Why? Because people are going to judge you. That's right. And they're going to think you're whatever. Right. Like all and, the, the labels they're going to put onto that. Right. And so I wasn't my true authentic self until I said, and people knew I was an empath. People knew I was a psychic, but I was afraid. And I was like, you know what? Enough is enough. I think a lot of it comes with age and you just, you know, you don't care. Like for you, have you had a hard time with people judging you? Oh my gosh. I mean, the book, I start out by talking about growing up in Indiana. Let's talk about it. Yeah. So the very first chapter um, gets into my background and growing up in, in Indiana. So my parents... Uh, I was born in Florida. My dad was in the Navy. My mom was working for the Navy at the time until she had me. But we were in New York living with my dad's parents, uh, my grandparents, when he got out of the Navy. And then he got a job that moved us to Indiana. And it was a very different place. And just the fact that one of the towns that we moved to, um, pretty small town, 13,000 people living there. And there wasn't anybody with an Italian last name. So just that alone, we were like, oh, yeah, we were just different. And this is like the late 79, 1980. Really? And then, yeah, yeah. And then the kids, fifth grade, I remember, you know, it was probably a month into fifth grade. um, One of the kids decided to tell everybody that I was gay. And you're like, what? And this is this is 19 now again 7980 like a long time ago it was a very different world gay wasn't as as uh, accepted and known as it is today and so I like literally had to go home and ask my mom like what's gay mean because I was going to say did you even know what that was 
Um, no, I mean, the only things I knew were from like John Wayne Gacy was a serial killer and he had, and that was like same sex, but then, I mean, this is before AIDS, this is before so many things. So I had no idea. And my mom, I remember just explained like, oh, well, gay is when, you know, people of the same sex love each other. So a man loves a man or a woman loves a woman. And there was no judgment from her about it um saying that oh that's wrong or or anything but she just kind of presented the 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 data but anyway that caught on like wildfire um yeah. when i was a kid and because kids yeah. kids can do that kids and, are and mean kids are hard man i'll tell you i got my i'll tell you something really quick i don't know if i've ever told this on the show i was about fifth sixth grade like you maybe fifth grade i don't even know but farrah fawcett was in Oh, and I yeah. had long hair. I had long blonde hair. Uh-huh. And I wanted to have the Farrah Fawcett haircut. But her haircut was really a shag. Yeah. And I didn't know that because I was a kid. And I begged my mom to go get the haircut. And they cut all my hair off. And I had a shag. And they called me Shaggy Dog at school. Oh. <laughs> and it was forever. And so we all, I just want to get this across. We all go through this kind of stuff. We just yeah. do. And, you know, where's the, emp- and kids are mean. They don't have, I don't know why. There, well, no, I I know. And this is when, you know, again, we should be, you know, parents should be modeling empathy to their their kids. The kind of meta higher narrative of the book. So the book, I think of it as like nesting dolls. There's like this bigger narrative, which is my own story um, and my experiences and coming to terms with what had happened to me. And it took going to my 30th high school reunion before I finally had the big aha about why what happened to me 30 years ago had, or 40 years ago at that point had happened. Um, Why, why, why do you think? I, well, I took the time, I went back to the reunion. I hadn't been back in about 20 years, um, but I took the time to actually listen to my classmates and hear their stories and you know at, at this point we're all in you know we're You're in adults. Yeah. adults so they're yeah. talking about what their lives were like yeah growing up and yeah. some of them had acknowledged over the years that and apologized to me and they're like we were really shit to you and i'm really sorry i hope i didn't really? do anything yeah really? i had a, i've had a few um few people friends who have, have said that and it, it's and unprovoked by me it's not like i was you know sharing my story and they said that mm-hmm. that meant a lot and that says a lot about them as individuals right. but then other classmates as i was listening to their stories and the things that they were going through where they had, you know, they were children of divorce or they had an alcoholic parent or an emotionally abusive parent or a sibling that was um, in trouble. And that caught cascaded into the rest of the family. It finally dawned on me. It was like, Oh, this was not about, about me. You, right. I was, I was the easy target that they could take it out on release yeah this was all about them and i was like oh we're all just wounded animals is how i write about it in the book we're all just wounded animals bumping into each other and trying to figure out our place in the world and and it is common in in child i'm not a 
child development psychologist. Me either, but, but I just mentioned that because I've noticed that. Over yeah, time. but yeah. but one of the things that kids go through in those tween years, especially, is they start to organize and figure out how they fit in and what doesn't fit in. And mm-hmm. and this is all very like kind of base amygdala sort of stuff. It's it's part of our hardwiring. Mm-hmm. But you you start to get into your little tribes, if you if you would, and what's in, what's other. And and so some of that sorting is what can lead to the the bullying and some of the bad behavior that we see and the kids being cruel to one another. Um, so you know, it's so important for any parents that are listening to talk to your kids and listen to your kids and ask them some good questions about how their day is, what's going on, and help them understand how to be empathetic towards other people. Yeah, I love what you said because it's absolutely the truth. It um you realized and I realized too when I got older that um a lot of times is that they weren't getting the love at home. I think this goes back to love. They weren't getting the love at home and and I wasn't either. My mom was a narcissist. So I can just say this and as you say this it makes so much sense. They took it out on you. It's just crazy. But yeah. I love how you listened and you heard them. And that's really important. It's- it is. And and had I not been in marketing research and been in that field for about 10 years at that point, I wouldn't have had the skills and that heightened um, uh, sensitivity to what was actually A, being said, but also the subtext of what was going on and how all of that fit together. So mm-hmm. um, that was really crucial to my being able to release and forgive and um, and kind of move on. Well, yeah, because you get stuck in that because it can ruin your life. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, if you start to believe what these people say, it can really screw you up and ruin your life. And then you get older and you worked on yourself, I can tell. And so, yeah, and I did, too. And that's how you start to realize this kind of stuff. I'm so glad you're sharing this information. Okay, so we talk about judgment and dismantling. We talk about asking good questions. You say, uh, I'm going to kind of rewind. You say, ask who, what, where, when, and how, and why do we want to do that? Well, rather than using the word why, you want to have you, you want to reframe the question. And an example of that, um, a, a mom reached out to me. I'd never met her before. Um, but reached out to me through social media shortly after the book had come out, and she told me the story about how her 13-year-old was having trouble in English class. And she was about to say like, why are you having trouble in English class? But she remembered this point from the book because, and and the idea is that from the time that we're a little kid, you know, and you draw on the wall and marker, what's the question that gets asked? Why did you draw on the, yeah. And you very quickly learn like, uh uh-oh, if I don't come up with a good excuse, reason, I'm pain, punishment, something bad is involved with that. Right. And it follows us. If it's not just when we're five, it's when we're in school. It's when know. we're, you know, in our romantic life that blossoms with our friends in our work life as adults. And we're always getting asked why. And it puts people on the defensive. Mm-hmm. And so instead, reframe the question, use who, what, where, when, how. Um, and asked them something else. And so in this story, the mom told me, she just remembered the title of the book. And she was like, tell me more about, and she said to her son, tell me more about what's going on in English class. Okay. 
And she said he opened up in a way that he hadn't to her before about what he was actually experiencing and the trouble he was having in that class. So she was actually able to help him instead of him getting defensive and shutting down. He he remained open. And so she was able to connect with him and support him and help figure out like the path forward so he could do better in English. I love um, that. And so, yeah, that it's just in every engagement and situation that we have, yes, you want to be curious and understand why, but it's about the way that you ask the question. And that's our programming. And I've had to reprogram myself. Um, and I know you probably have to change, you know, the way that we are programmed when we're little, unfortunately. And a lot of it is a society, I'll just say. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Society has done a lot to get us to this place that we're at. And now it's up to society and collectively, you know, uh, the two of us, your listeners and others that hear this, uh, this message that, Hey, we have a choice in how we're going to show right. up. And can right. we be courageous to be empathetic? I want to rewind. I want to talk about a little bit of things in your, that you talk about in your book. I love when you talk about sleeping in the airport. You don't mind telling that story because I used to be, I'll just be honest. I used to be really judgmental until I learned, like I said, about five, six years ago to just stop it. Yeah. yeah. And, but talk about this. I love this little story. <laughs> so this was early. This is 2000 summer of 07, I think. Um, and very similar to all the thunderstorms that have been going on in the East coast and snarling air travel this summer, um, I was in a situation where I was trying to get from New York to Atlanta, but I had made a stop in Washington, D.C. because my sister was living there at oh. the time and she's pregnant okay. and wanted to see her. Okay. And so, you know, whatever, morning flight out of New York down to D.C., easy, smooth, beautiful. And then all of a sudden in middle of the day, these thunderstorms pop up and my flight to Atlanta keeps getting delayed and delayed and delayed. And then suddenly it's canceled. But I had to be in Atlanta early the next morning for um, for work. We were going out and doing some in-home uh, in home research. Okay. And so I, it was like, I was able to get on a 6 a.m. flight, but this is like at 1230. So I had like five and a half hours and it's like gonna take me, you know, it's like by the time I get to a, somebody's house, like there were no hotels available. By the time I get to somebody's house, I'm, I'm going to sleep for like two hours. Mm -hmm. So I think I'm going to, it's best that I just stay at the airport. And I never had been in a situation where I had to do that before. And, you know, I'd seen people camped out on the chairs or sometimes on cots. And it always been really judgmental. Like, why don't they get a hotel room or go back to their friend's house or do something like you're sleeping on the floor of an airport. Mm -hmm. um, and, and how gross is that? Right. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> I've, I've, I've gotten over it now because I've had oh, to do it myself. God. And so, yeah, I found a quiet area near my gate and like made a, a, a stuffed my backpack that I had with me with some clothes. So it'd be a little, instead of my work stuff, so it'd be softer, set my alarm clock, drape myself over my suitcase. Cause you know, I was at Dulles airport, not that anyone's going to steal my stuff at four in the morning, but you never know. Why not um, now? Possibly they could. <laughs> yeah, right. The way so, I, going. <laughs> I, so yeah, I got a few hours of sleep and then woke up and needed to figure out how to clean myself. Oh, wow. Um, and took a sponge bath using a, uh, a athletic sock turned inside out. Oh my god! As a washcloth. 
I'm sorry. I don't mean to laugh. No, it was, oh it, it, it's a, fu- it's a funny story. It's a very funny story. And, you know, there were people coming in and out of the bathroom and God only knows what they were thinking. Um, <laughs> probably having the same judgment that I've had towards people doing that, but, but going through that, you know, gave me new perspective and was like, you know what, I don't know why somebody has to do that, but they do, you know, and and so let's maybe support and have empathy with them rather than pity them or something. Yeah. You also talk about, I, I'm just looking at my notes here. Yeah, you, of course. There's so much cool information in your book, I will say. And there's so many neat stories um, I get to today. Yeah. It was a real cool read. You know, you're a neat guy and you've had a lot of experiences. I guess what I want to ask you, there's so many questions I want to ask, but um, one thing I wrote down is taking time to listen to someone else's point of view. And I bring this up because of all the stuff that's going on. I mean, we, and I don't want to get political, but we got Trump and we got Biden and, you know, it's just gotten so crazy and it's gotten so divided. And um, one thing I will say, and I don't know if this comes from being empathetic and you can tell me what you think, but I've always been able to listen to both sides. Mm -hmm. especially doing this show i there's people that i don't agree with but i'll listen to them so talk about this i mean people just don't even want to hear what you got to say i've had to get rid of people on facebook because they're so obnoxious yeah i mean it's gotten to that point where we're just not listening to the other person's point of view like i think this way and that's it my way is the highway you know it's like crazy for the last maybe 30 years or so since the early mid 90s we've been in this um we've had different things happening that have made us turn into this zero-sum game mentality i'm right you're wrong and you can think about the polarization that started happening in congress you can think about reality television where we're competing against each other and one person is going to be the survivor um you can think about and it's not just that one particular show there's a whole industry that's our entertainment we've been taught um you know through all these signals that we're taking in that yeah you're supposed to get angry flip the table up and storm out of the restaurant you know that's accepted behavior it's the outrageous things that get more likes on social media and all I of know. that validation i know so it's it's creating this i'm right you're wrong i mean you look at at the news and it's you know been heads yelling at each other and well, that's entertainment we we you know it's like you know, back in Roman times with the gladiators and the Colosseum. And, you know, it's it's this entertainment of the masses through horrible acts towards each other. Yeah, I've seen that. I, I, what you're talking, I'm thinking, I saw on the on the news, I can't remember who it was, was doing a concert. This has happened to people who are doing concerts. They used to throw clothes and now they're throwing like bottles and phones and stuff like this. And the same, you know, this is happening where it all started when I think it was uh, Will Smith punched out Chris Rock. And it was like, then everybody thought it was okay. And now it's become a thing. Well, and and the respect, like there was a line before there was like this line of respect where you knew not to cross that line. And now people are crossing that line. Oh, it that. Yes, there's been. 
that. I mean, there's definitely the Will Smith, Chris Rock incident at the Oscars a few years ago, um, you know, without going into all the politics. The oh, way- yeah, but I'm watching it and I'm just thinking, what happened to values? What happened to that line that we don't cross? See, in my opinion, you get me on my soapbox. I mean, we got to get back to respect. I mean, you have to respect you don't and do that. It's about, yeah, correct. I totally agree. It's and I think part of the path to getting there is through listening to other people. And 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 it can be really difficult. One of the things I talk about now, it's not in the book, but it will be in the next book, um is this idea of a curious breath. And to so when you feel somebody coming at you and they're, you know, attacking you in whatever way, just take a curious breath. Instead of smacking back right away, just literally inhale, exhale. It expands just like it expands your lungs with air. It expands your mind and gives you a moment to think about how do I want to actually respond? And you can make a choice in how you're going to respond instead of an instinctive- Being reactive. Being reactive. Reactive. Exactly. You can be purposeful instead of being reactive. Um, thank you. I'll probably start including that when I talk about. Well, that. no, it's true. And, and you know what I've learned truly, because I used to be reactive because I'm type A, I'm quite high energy. But what I've learned being a spiritual kind of girl and connecting with the divine. And this has been a big one. And this is what I teach on my show. Now, instead of like saying you asshole, excuse my language, hopefully they don't get me on YouTube. Now I just say, oh, you must need love. Yeah. And now. I've converted it to I send out love. I don't say, oh, you're a jerk or you're <laughs> I said, oh, you must need love. And so I send out love. Nice. And that's what we have to get to. I know it may sound a little Pollyanna, but that's what I think. What do you think, Ruff? I agree. I think, you know, it's it's finding and going back to what we have in common you know, from a human values perspective. Um, there's a chapter in the book called Fear. It's in yes. the dismantling judgment section, but- Yes, let's talk about that. Cause you go to a, I want you to tell this story, man. <laughs> so I, I got, we were hired by a client to go to the NRA gun show. Uh, I was in St. Louis that year and to find out why people wanted to, have carry concealed permits to carry weapons and then what are they looking for in the accessories and and everything like how do they actually go about carry conceal right now can i stop you a second i want to insist the audience so this is like a joke so a gay man a blonde and an asian man walk into a national rifle association gun show in st louis okay that's the setup that is oh my god because I've been uh, to that shows and I know I was I as the gay man was feeling a little uncomfortable oh uh, as you as a, we walked into it and but I opened my mind up kind of approaching it with love and curiosity and something else that um the the woman that taught me how to moderate talked about unconditional positive regard Nice. having unconditional positive regard upr for other people so everyone has the right to have their own opinion and it, you want to be curious about it so that you can then understand where they're coming from and that's where you'll be able to work with them and that's empathy um so in that case yeah we go in and it's like okay why 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 do you want to have a gun um but it was fascinating like the people really opened up and what i kept hearing as we 
um, would peel the onion, so to speak, and go deeper, they would talk about how, like, it's a scary world out there. I don't know what's going to happen. I want to be able to protect myself. And what my were you family. researching? I want to stop you. What was your, what was the goal here? The goal was to understand. So if you have a carry conceal weapon permit, what prompted you to get it? And then how do you go about like when you're carrying and you're out and about because it's carry and conceal. So right. carry a concealed weapon. Right. What accessories are you using? What's, you know, what are the unmet needs, if you would? So from the clothing perspective, are there the right pockets and places? Is it hidden? Is it right? Who are you working for? Were you working for a gun manufacturer or it were was, you working uh, for it was you mind an, me asking? Yeah, no, it was a company that makes accessories for, for guns. For guns, yes. Okay, from gotcha. Holsters okay. to clothing okay. to uniforms, okay. all the things. All right. And so and I never in the book, I like, I, I don't get into those, like the learnings of the project itself. Like, you know, why did you? Right, but I'm just curious, suit, like, what were you doing? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what brought us there. And so we were doing in that project, we had two pieces to it. So we did intercepts. So intercepted people attending the gun show, find out what they were thinking. And then we did some focus groups in Philadelphia, I think, um, and which I also talk about later in the chapter. The thing that kept coming up, though, was like when you boil it down, the reason why people were wanting to have a weapon was because it's a scary world out there. And you don't know what's going to happen and they want to be able to protect themselves. And I remember there's one guy who's a former Marine, his name's Steve in the book, and he talks about how he'd had a massive heart attack. And so he doesn't, he was in his 70s now, he doesn't have the strength and the stamina to, to protect himself, himself and the, to yeah. defend himself and his family the way he used to. Right. And so the gun gives him some of that uh, confidence that he could protect his family if he needed it. It was fascinating. And, and that the essence of that idea, that basic human value, that the need to protect safety and security, base of Maslow's hierarchy, that kept coming up. And then a few weeks later, I'm having brunch with some friends here in San Francisco, all you know, liberal lefties, telling them, oh my God, I just did this fascinating project. And we were talking to all these people. And one of them was like, well, yeah, I'm afraid of what those people with guns are going to do because it's a scary world. And I was like, oh, so wow. you're... So, so basically, it's the same fear that everybody has, which is it's a scary world out there, and I don't know what these people are going to do. Some people have chosen to acquire a gun in order to protect themselves. Others would prefer to control access to guns as a way to keep themselves safe. And, and so when you get when you get down to that base level, and you can do this on every big political charged issue, as well as all the personal things we go through. But if you can get down to that root understanding and that root commonality, then you can start moving forward and say, okay, we're both afraid of the same things. We've got crime as an issue. You know, crime is the overriding issue and, and gun access and everything. How do we work together to create a, a world where I feel safe, where we all feel safe, and you still have access to guns and can do the things, but I feel better about how you know how to handle a gun, you know, who is getting a gun, who gets access to it, things like that. Right. But you've got to sometimes, especially these big issues, you've got to boil it down. Yeah. And 
that takes more than a 30 second soundbite or even a three minute TikTok video. And that's, oh. that's the problem we've got. We're in such short attention span that even if we could listen to each other, we don't, the time isn't being given to do it. Right. And I want to address this really quick. Probably going to blow your mind a little bit here, Rob, but I'll just tell you. So I used to have a gun, but I don't anymore because I'm really protected by the divine. And I think once we get to the love, there's either love or there's fear. Yep. So if we can switch it from the fear to the love, because we're all connected. You see, I don't need a gun anymore because I know that I'm loved and I'm protected and I don't worry and I don't put that out there and I keep that energy. And that's what we have to do. We have to start sending out the love energy may sound, you know, like I said before, Pollyanna, but it's the truth. If we can put more love towards each other, then we don't need the guns. We really don't, you know, it's just really got, that's how I feel about this. I, I, and I agree with you. I don't, and I don't think it's Pollyanna-ish. It is the future. And as we are raising the consciousness and the way that we are showing up in the world. Yes. um, And I do believe that love is stronger than fear. It is. But we have to get to that place where we can tap into it. And I, and so one of the things that I also talk quite a lot about is just the idea of self-awareness. So if you can have that sort of metacognition of what you're tapping into and when are you going into a fear space or scarcity, the things that you're afraid of or that you're, you know, I mean, worry is also very choking. Um, the, the, the psychic that I work with, she, we always talk about fear, worry, concern, and the levels of, mm-hmm. um, strangulation that those can have on you. Well, yeah. Cause it, being open to love and letting right. that light in and exuding that it's so it's a, it, it's a calmer, happier place to be yeah. um, and makes it a lot easier to like, just kind of observe all the crazy that's going on around Bingo, you. Rob, man, you hit it right on the head. And I teach the audience to bring in the light. I run the light through my body every day. I connect, you can say divine, you can say higher source, you can say, you know, love energy, whatever you want but i am teaching the audience truly to connect with that energy because when you do then you're centered and all this craziness can go on all around you but it doesn't affect you because you're in a different space and that's what we're trying to get to on this whole thing you know um we don't have a ton more time but i want to get to a couple more things um you know (laughs) um I don't know what I should bring up here. You talk about sex in the city. You had to do, God, I want to know. So you had to do research projects uh-huh. and you had to, what, what's been your funniest? You talk about a lubricant that you had to, uh, I just want to hear this. I mean, how did you even do this? Oh my God. Uh, well, you know, I'm not trying to be out there or anything, but I was like, no, no, not crazy. at all. But you, you, you can, and I share those. So there's a chapter that's called let's talk about sex. And there are times I can be talking to people about Cheerios and they'll bring up if they're of a certain age, you're going to hear about menopause and health issues and the things that people are going through. You can talk to anyone about anything, as long as you treat the person and the topic with respect and cure and genuine curiosity. Okay. So um, the story that's in the book around that, one of the stories, um, we were 
engaged to talk to people about how they use personal lubricant in sex. That's crazy. That would have to be hard to do that. It Yeah, there's an awkwardness when you're, so I'm a gay man. I've said that a couple of times now, but it's really important to this story. <laughs> I think I'm what's called a gold star. Like I've never had sex with a woman, been intimate with a, like no interest. No, thank you. Okay. I am like, I'm gay. Okay. Um, so I don't even understand. Like, I don't know that I could point all the parts out accurately on a map um, or, you know, in the doctor's office. Well, at least you're honest. Okay. So, <laughs> so in the book, I write about like I I had to the the people I had to talk to. I was talking to the men, and I had a female colleague talking to women. Okay, the gay men that I had to talk to because we do buy a good amount of lubricant. Um, that was easy because I understood what they were talking about in the situations, and then I had to talk to this guy, Adam, and Adam is straight and uses lube with his wife and was talking about having sex with her. And I literally was like beginners. I did not understand um, and had to ask good questions and keep asking him to clarify and explain. And it, it was, you know, not um, um, prurient or anything like that, but it was so that I could really understand right. how he was, he, how he and his wife were using it, the pleasure that they were deriving from it. But was I like squirming and super uncomfortable inside my God? I was like, it was like I was 13 years old. And I tell the story of my dad giving me the birds and the bees conversation yeah. <laughs> in our car on the way to the mall. And I'm just like going, what is happening? Um, so I love it. It's so that would have to be difficult. I mean, I understand it was your job to do that, but that would have to be really hard. Um, one more thing I want to talk about before we get out of here today. You address society in the middle class. You, I, I believe, and I see this happening. Um, and this is where we really need to have empathy. And we talked about the homeless a little bit. But what I see is, you know, the middle class is going away. Mm -hmm. And it's either the haves or the have-nots. And, and, you know, this is so sad to see. I see... There's no in between anymore, and you address it in the book. Yeah, you, um, and it's in that use solution imagination section where we're really, you know, and that's where you're starting to understand where people might be coming from, and you're using that to ask the next question or move things along to a positive outcome. And um, one of the chapters, Leave Your Boots at the Door, that's in that section mm -hmm. is about a time where we went out and talked to people that were working class. And here, you know, we, it was myself, some clients from a major food manufacturer, all six-figure salaries, many of them with advanced degrees. And we're going into, you know, a, a guy's, a family's house, um, that he works uh, as like a warehouse manager. His wife was a part-time secretary at the church. And I asked them at one point, like, what would you do to, like, would you want that six-figure salary? And he said, no. And it was because they didn't, like, he saw they had neighbors that had that life and they were constantly on their phone and, and doing all those things. And he's like, I don't want to give that up. I value my time with my family and that connectedness. And, and those stories came out throughout the, the um, project that we were doing. And it's this wow. idea of, 
like don't can't buy you love man (laughs) no and don't don't think that your way is the right way and i think that's one of the challenges we're facing right now is we're so caught up in our own existence and where we're at and the trappings of our success that we're not realizing that hey it might be different for somebody else and to take the time to listen and you don't know when you see somebody on the street, like what they're going through, what their story is, which is why we should ask good questions and we should listen and try to understand and connect with them. I love what you say, because it's true. There's a lot of people, I say money can't buy you love. And I've learned over time, you know, I was a real estate broker for a long time and made a lot of money. And there was a time I forgot what it was like to be without. Yeah. And, you know, I've been on both sides of the coin. And I will just say that in a lot of ways, people are so materialistic right now that I'm so glad you you, you recognize this and you talk about it because money is not the most important thing. It's people and it's how you treat them and it's love and and the family and the morals and the values and the things. And when you have so much money, a lot of time, well, I'm going to say the kids just you know, this is what's wrong with our society today. We've given them almost too much where they don't appreciate, you know, where if you don't have to work and you don't have to earn it, then you don't appreciate. And I think it's great that people are staying in that value small, you know, because it's better. It's healthier. Oh, absolutely. I mean, didn't you walk away from that thinking that? Oh, it made me like it It kicked off an existential crisis of like, wait, whoa, maybe I have this all wrong because right. why am I working so hard? Like to what end? For um, what? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And knowing, you know, and I write in the book, I like, leave that session. I've got to go debrief with the clients, then go back to my hotel. I'm up past midnight working on other things. Why? Like, you, you take know, it with you. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um so yeah, we have to be mindful and thinking of that. And you know, if you think about the memories and the moments that you treasure most, I'm willing to bet for everybody that's listening, it is not material things. It's about experiences, moments, laughter, love yeah. with yeah. family, with friends. You know, it may be in the context of a big experience, a great trip or something. But it's really about the connection to somebody else. And that's what we need to really desperately get back to. Connection. Absolutely. Wow. What a great show. Hold your book up again. We got to get out of here today, you guys. But here it is. Tell me more about that. I love Loving the Empathy Crisis, one conversation at a time. And it's available wherever people buy books. I narrated the audio book. Uh, and then there's oh, a- did you? Cool. I did. Uh, yeah. Do you have a website or anything? Yes. Yes. No? Yes. 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 So people I read can it. go to, right. so there's ignite-360.com for my oh. company. And then they can also go to robvolpe.expert, uh, robvolpe, V-O-L-P-E dot expert for more about me and the book and other things, empathy. Well, you are just a breath of fresh air. So nice to have you on the show today. And so nice, nice to, to talk, talk to you. you. Thank yeah. you, Nancy. Thanks for having me. 
You're welcome. All right, you guys, we've got to get out of here for today. But if you want an angel reading, if you want a psychic reading, go to my website, nancyyearout.com. I do have some new messages up there from Archangel Gabriel. You might want to check that out. And of course, all the shows and all the podcasts are there. It's been a pleasure. I hope everybody has a fabulous week and God bless.